Welcome to the Kenza Pod. Kenza Collective is a platform designed to inspire and support parents who work as independent contractors. We are a community of like-minded parents united in our vision that career and parenthood can exist in harmony. So whether you're thinking of taking the leap into freelancing, you're a seasoned freelancer looking to learn more about how to run your business, or you're anything in between, we welcome you. Together, let's reinvent what it means to be a working parent. My name is Tiffany Jones. I am the founder of Kenza Collective, and I am so excited that you're here with us today. I can still remember in like 2012, I got an email from someone who's like, you're trying too hard to be weird. (laughs) And I responded and I was like, you don't know how hard I'm trying to not be weird. Like... (laughs) Welcome to the very first episode of So You Wanna Be Ya. It's kind of fun to say it. Beth, have you come up with a funny way to say it yet? So You Wanna Be Ya. So You Wanna Be Ya. I like it. So the goal of the So You Want To Be Ya Kenzapod series is to hear stories from other parents like you who have started their own businesses while raising a family. We want to explore some well-known types of freelancing jobs and maybe some lesser-known jobs. We'll talk about how and why they got started, what skills they had that served them well, what skills they needed to learn, what the journey has been like as they've juggled working and parenting, and just see if there's any pro tips that they may have to offer you if you're considering a similar path. Joining us today for our inaugural So You Wanna Be a episode is... Sarah Cook of sustainablecooks.com. I have been following Sarah since about 2013. I was the earliest email I could dig up from my uh, email archives. And at that point, her blog was called Frugal by Choice, Cheap by Necessity. I was immediately drawn to Sarah because not only did she put out great content about budget-friendly recipes and other creative and awesome ideas about living frugally, She does it all with a very healthy dose of sarcasm and snark, which is right up my alley. So even if a blog post comes out that maybe I'm not necessarily interested in or doesn't apply to me the subject matter, I always read it because she literally makes me laugh out loud with her hilarious banter. So that's when you know that you're you're doing something good when people read something that has nothing to do with them, but they just want to read it for the writing. Um, I have been around for all kinds of ups and downs in her life. She's very authentic with the way that she shares just what's going on with her. And I think that her willingness to be so vulnerable has been just a really big key to her success, although it might be really hard for her personally, which we can talk about that. So a little over a year ago, I I think it was about a year ago, I was sitting on the couch just scrolling Instagram at the time I had a one-year-old. All of a sudden, a friend request came through from Sarah. And I turned to my friend or to my husband and I was like, oh my gosh, that blogger Sarah that I follow just requested to follow me on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a celebrity had requested me or something. Um, And so ever since then, we've, I don't think I've told you this, Sarah, but I refer to you as my internet friend, Sarah. And, um, and so when we thought of the concept for this, this series, I knew I had to reach out to her. So I am just really honored and excited to have Sarah on the Kenza pod today to talk about her journey from working full-time for the man to starting up a blog on the side and then making the transition to full-time blogger. So let's get to it. Welcome, Sarah. Jeez, I need an intro like that every morning to like... (laughs) 
Get the juices flowing. Gee. <laughs> well, I'm super excited to be here and I'm really honored to be your first guest. So exciting. And to be your internet and in real life friend. <laughs> I know. It's it's pretty awesome. I knew that we were gonna hit it off because she sent my daughter a Yoda. She offered to send a Yoda costume that she had made for her son. Uh, when Halloween was coming up and I said, definitely. And of course, Mackenzie ended up wearing that she was Yoda for her first Halloween. And that's, I mean, you have like a actual mark in my child's life now. That- you know, she's so cute too, <laughs> even without the costume. <laughs> so Sarah, why don't you tell us about yourself and your website where it is currently today? And then we'll kind of go back to the beginning and hear how you got to this point. So I am Sarah Cook, the founder of Sustainable Cooks, and we produce budget and family-friendly recipes. And really my goal is to just meet, meet readers where they're at. So give them ideas on how to keep them out of the drive-thru. Um, you know, you may remember a few months ago, life was normal and people had <laughs> jobs to go to and sports and they were taking kids around and stuff like that. So my goal was just to keep busy families out of the drive-thru and um, help them eat really good food at a price point that they can afford. Take us back to early days. When did this get started and why did you even start it? What was your life like at that point? So it was August of 2010 and I had a little over a one-year-old, must've been 18 months old. And I'd had like that mommy blog where, um, you know, it's just kind of it's like the online baby book. I had that just for family and friends because when I was pregnant, we lived in Los Angeles. Our family's in Seattle. So I started it just for them. And then I kind of just kept going with it just, you know, to have. And then my friend said, well, you should start a business plan. And I'm like, for what? For talking about my kid? No, I'm good. And then in, so sorry, I need to go back even further on April Fool's Day of 2010, my husband got laid off from his job. So first I was like, oh, this isn't funny. This is not the, the prank I want. We had moved from Los Angeles back to um, Seattle. I had been told I could work from home for my company. And then when I was a month away from giving birth, I was told that was no longer possible. So I was the breadwinner. I had all the insurance. Thankfully, my company said that I could stay with them through the end of the year, which was great because then I could keep insurance and all that. But my husband couldn't find a job when we moved home. It was the middle of the Great Recession. Things were tough. So I think around like August, I hit my breaking point. I was just exhausted, like exhausted. And I had been trying to reduce our income or not our income. I was trying to increase our income, but reduce our expenses in every way possible. And I was on an online like mom's forum. It was a private forum. There was like 25 of us. And I just kept sharing stuff and people were like, oh, this is really helpful. But after a month, I'm like, I'm being annoying. Like I am sharing way too much on here. I'm kind of monopolizing it. So I decided to start a blog so I could annoy strangers. (laughs) (laughs) And So I chose a, I mean, the blog name came to me instantly. And now looking back, like you should never have a blog name that's like 10 words long. Like it's too much. It's just too much. But at the time it like encapsulated exactly where we were and um, 
it was just a place for me to share. I used to say having a free blog was cheaper than therapy because we couldn't afford therapy. And I was just like frustrated and sad and like anxious almost every day. So it was like my online therapy and along, and along the way people just found me. And so you, when you started it, it wasn't necessarily because you were trying to build a whole business out of it. No, no, that was not even remotely in my mind. Like it didn't even occur to me that blogs could make money until like four to five years later. Interesting. So, so how did you start to learn about that, that that your blog could actually start making money for you? Do you remember? I, I was probably reading someone's blog and they probably just, I don't know, had a sponsored poster or anything. I'm like, what is a sponsored post? Like people pay you to talk about canned chicken stock or something, (laughs) but I didn't think I had the audience for it. I didn't think I had the numbers or anything like that. So I just kept going. Um, Eventually an an ad network reached out to me and said, Hey, would you want to put some ads on our site? And so a managed ad network is a company that works with other companies to produce ads and then they embed them on your site. And I was like, well, yeah, free money. Sure. That sounds good. What I didn't know at the time is that it really slows down your site, especially like the lower quality, lower tier ad networks. And it's really junky ads, you know, like the that cartoon of the woman and she's like pinching her belly and it's like too much belly fat. You know, we've all seen that ad. (laughs) Um, And those, those kinds of ads like really slow down your site. But at the time I was like, you know, free money, I'll take it. And then as my blog grew and I became more, let's say frustrated with my job, um, I started thinking about it realistically, like in the long run. But my husband had switched from doing uh, behind the scenes work on um, TV, like reality shows and movies, to doing HVAC when we moved home. And then he decided randomly he wanted to become a firefighter. And we'd already moved to Los Angeles for his dream. And so I can still remember the day he told me that. And I'm like, I want to become a unicorn rancher. Like, sure, let's, (laughs) like, why not? We've already spent five years pursuing your dream. Let's just keep going, right? (laughs) And what no one tells you about becoming a firefighter is that it's like trying to join the mob. You pretty much have to, like, pay your way in because every fire department requires you to pay for a test and then you have to pay to take a physical test. Like it's a really expensive, like time intensive journey. And it took him four years to do that. So while I was making like that little, can I say crap, (laughs) crap money from uh, those ads, you know, we were spending all of our money for him to take tests, become a firefighter. And so I never thought, oh yeah, I can leave my job one day and do this. It's let's get him to a job where he actually has benefits and we'll see what happens. So it seems like it was something that you were intrigued by and interested in and wanted to pursue, but maybe we're just sort of waiting for the right timing to, to figure out when the right time was going to be for your family. Exactly. Cause I was the one who had the steady income. I was the one who had the insurance And, uh, you know, people say, find something you love and, you know, you'll never work a day in your life. But the thing is, you still have to provide food for your family and you still have to have health insurance and you still have to be able to pay rent or a mortgage. So 
I mean, I understand finding something you love, but I also think that people are really impractical when they say that because they're not taking into account the reality of how am I actually going to keep food on my table? Yeah, absolutely. So there must have come a tipping point then. What then this is a big question that a lot this is like one of the most common questions that freelancers ask is how do you know when you're when it's time to take the leap or how did you, you know, manage that and make sure that it was going to be okay and I mean usually the answer is you don't really know. There is no right time necessarily, but there is there is a time. So tell us about your time when that actually the crossover happened. So it had less to do with what I was making and more to do with my husband was finally able to have a salary and had health insurance that was better than the health insurance I had through my job. Um, At the same time, my parents had moved in with us. My mom had multiple sclerosis. Uh, My dad's an amputee. So they had moved in with us. So I was taking care of my mom, helping out my dad when I could working full time and my husband was now gone 24 hours at a time. Um, and you had see. two children. Still well, children. um, I had Jack and I was pregnant with Bennett. Okay. And so when you're in the fire service, your first year is, it's a, a 12 month probation. So during that 12 months, you have to do a bunch of training and get everything signed off. And at any point during that 12 months, they can fire you for absolutely no reason. So we're like, mm, we're not going to make any life decisions during this 12 months. So once he um, got through probation and we knew, okay, he has this job. And then once I had reached the tipping point of, I couldn't commute an hour a day. I, the idea of paying for two daycares would basically be my salary and I was taking care of my mom it made more financial sense for me to quit and then pursue this full-time even though at the time like I'll I'm perfectly frank with like money and stuff like that I think I was making like $350 a month like it was doing nothing in the grants and I'm not to discount $300 a month but like in the grand scheme of things it was it was nothing Um, but that money plus daycare didn't make sense for me to keep doing that. Plus I had to take care of my mom. Right. Right. So it kind of came to a point where you needed to do what was right for your family, but that also kind of lined up nicely because you were enjoying doing this and you were enjoying actually running the blog. And so that kind of lined up nicely. Yes. But, and I'll be honest that if it hadn't lined up nicely, like if my husband had, hadn't gotten that job, I would still be doing all those things. I'd still be going to work. I just, I'd still be, well, I wouldn't be taking care of my mom because she passed away a few years ago, but um, I would still, I would have made it work because when you don't have choices, your only choice is to keep making it work. Yeah. So absolutely. it was, it was definitely a, a moment of privilege in that I was able to quit to pursue this full time. So now you have, you've quit your job and you're yes. running the blog full time and, you know, juggling family and, and all of that kind of stuff. What are, what were some positives on that next step in your journey where all of a sudden now you're not working full time for a company? But you do need, you have this burden of, you know, burden is a one way, one way to put it, but you now have an obligation to, to really take your passion project and turn it into something. 
what was that like for you? Was that exciting or challenging or how are you feeling at that point? I mean, honestly, it was kind of horrible because <laughs> uh, my, my second kid was born at the end of January and then, um, that was January. And then in May I was like, I don't want to blog anymore. Like, Oh man. I know. I really loved doing it, but there was no growth. Like if I looked year over year, my blog was actually declining. Like absolutely nothing had changed. It had gotten worse. And I was like, I'm just not going to do this anymore. Like this isn't all, I don't know, like watch a neighbor's kid or something like that'll make me more money than this blog. And so I was getting ready to archive my blog, which meant like no one, I couldn't add anything more to it, but it would still be up there in case anyone wanted something. And I was out walking with um, my baby, uh, who's now four and a half. Um, We were, he was in the stroller and I was listening to a podcast and someone was talking about um, a food blog podcast. And I was like, they're food blog podcast? Like what? <laughs> so I went and found it and it was all about how to optimize your food blog to earn money. And so for anyone listening, um, that podcast that I heard was Food Blogger Pro. And as I am want to do, I became like immersed in it, like obsessed with it. And within a week, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much I didn't know. Like every, basically everything. Like I knew absolutely nothing about how to run a blog as a business. And so I just said, okay, I laid out a plan. I'm going to, and even looking back, my plan was so stupid. Like I'm going to master this this month and then I'm going to master this this month. And then within a year, I'm going to be huge and it's going to be awesome. And, uh, none of those things happened. I didn't master anything, but it reignited a passion for me to keep going. And so, you know, looking back now, if I had deleted that, like my life would be completely different. Yeah, that's, I'm really glad that you brought up that point in your journey. And now I feel like I'm remembering that you, I think you must've written about it. Cause I, of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. And, um, and I love that you said that because that's definitely, that is something that we're really passionate about at Kenza is just trying to educate people on, on how to better run their day to day or how to handle their taxes or all the things that, you know, we just weren't taught in school. Maybe we don't even know we need to be doing, or we could be doing something better. Um, you know, all those different pieces of just helping people be more educated on how to really optimize their business is so important. And the fact that that saved you from the brink of letting this go and now seeing what it is today. Right. Just really amazing. Well, and I'll say when I started blogging, their blogs weren't profitable. There was no blogging education. There were no courses on how to be a successful blogger because nobody knew what they were doing. But along the way, people figured it out and I was just really late to the game. And I used to make lots of excuses like, oh, I'd be successful if I didn't have to also do my day job. And then I didn't have to do my day job. And I'm like, so why aren't I not as successful? And then I'm like, oh, well, I'd be successful if I didn't have kids. Like all these bloggers don't have kids. And then I look at people who have like eight kids and they're blogging and successful. And I'm like, well, (laughs) (laughs) I made lots of excuses, but basically I didn't have the tools to to really be successful. One, I didn't know they were out there. And then two, once they were out there, I kind of drug my feet on figuring out if they were 
right for me and how to implement them. And then, you know, as I implemented them, I learned more mistakes of what I was not doing. So it was like, I feel like where I am now, it's taken me two and a half years to dig out of the hole I was in at that time because I had done so much wrong for so long that I'm still repairing. So my advice to anybody who's just getting started is kind of just take a pause, spend a month learning what the possibilities are, and then just start off correctly in the first place if if possible. And you're still going to make mistakes, but you probably won't make the same mistakes I did. Well, I think though, Sarah, the thing that you really had going for you is and continue is that your voice and your content and what you're writing and how you write and how you speak to people and how you respond to people and how you connect with your audience. I mean, that is, it seems from my perspective as an audience member, it seems like just a natural. And when you have that skill set, that's, that's the golden nugget right there. Like not everybody has that skill set or that ability to, to put out content that their audience really resonates with in a very authentic way. So, you know, it was just that you needed the tools to help grow that authentic skill set that you had, but you know, you had that and that's what has made this, made this really turn into something really successful for you. Yeah. And there's lots of bloggers out there who are just like, they don't want to talk about anything personal. They just want to be generic and that's totally fine. And they're probably way more successful than me because, you know, they have Pinterest traffic and stuff like that. Um, but I never wanted to pretend to be something I wasn't. Um, I can still remember in like 2012, I got an email from someone who's like, you're trying too hard to be weird. <laughs> And I responded and I was like, you don't know how hard I'm trying to not be weird. Like, (laughs) this is the scrubbed up version of me. Like, (laughs) that's actually a really good segue to a question that I um, thought of at three o'clock this morning as I was laying with my toddler who wouldn't go back to sleep. Um, (laughs) I'm a little tired, but that's okay. How have you, so one of actually, I'll just be transparent here. One of my um, fears when I was launching Kenza and actually it's still my fear and probably will always be my fear is I don't want to deal with the jerks out there. Yeah. I don't want to deal with the trolls. And Beth and I have talked about this and my husband and I have talked about this. And they both were like, we'll deal with them. Don't even worry about them. You know, bring them on, bring them on. Yeah. Yeah. Beth's like, I got this, send them my way. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate that. But you know, it's, I don't know why it's such a fear. It's like, because, and I think you may feel the same way. It's like, you're just genuinely trying to be a good human and share good information with people and help people and to open yourself up like that and know that a-holes are going to come your way just like suck. So how have you dealt with that? So this has been a 10 year journey and it used to, to like destroy me. It would just ruin my day or my week. I wouldn't be able to sleep, but over time I've realized it, 100% about them and not about me. Now, if someone's going to give me feedback from a genuine place, like I will absolutely look at it and see, gosh, do they have a point? Like, is it feedback that's going to help my business? Yes or no? If not, then I will. Sometimes I don't respond and sometimes I will. And lately I have started putting screenshots 
<laughs> of the emails that I get on Instagram stories because uh, it's funny. I always blank out the people's names um, because even though they want attention, clearly, I don't feel like they need that kind of attention. Um, and now I go about my day. It used, I mean, but it, honestly, it used to destroy me. Even like a week ago, I got a comment where someone had found a post from like four years ago where I had responded to somebody in a snarky manner, but it was a funny snarky manner. And there was even like a happy face next to it. And the person I was responding to was my friend. And this commenter must have come from Pinterest or something because I've never seen her before. And she's like, you're so mean, get a life. And I'm like, get a life. So first of all, you're insulting me by telling me to be kind to people. And I'm like, eh, bye. <laughs> like, and especially like, if you're a woman in business, you're going to get like, those jerk guys who just want to put you down. But here's the thing. It's your business. You can delete those comments. You don't have to give them a voice. And just know that it's going to hurt and it's going to suck. But eventually the skin that you develop gets a little bit thicker every single day. And really just look at it. Is it, is it from a place of, are they being genuine? Or are they just some bored troll in their parents' basement? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and I've now just turned it into a game. So as you've seen that I've been posting them on Instagram stories. Yeah. What was that ridiculous one recently about you're a food blogger. Quit talking about books. Books. Or something. Yeah. Are you trying to be Oprah? Your this her guru status is not for you. <laughs> oh my God. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I was sharing what I was reading before Oprah was. Maybe she took it from me. Um, but so instead I just, doubled down on talking about books. And now I have a little uh, highlights on my Instagram that says books. So <laughs> you daredevil, you. I'm so evil. Yes, I'm trying to create an army of nerds with library cards. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. We saw right through you. I know. I'm so transparent. <laughs> Beth, do you have anything else to add to the troll thing? Because I actually think this is probably a pretty genuine fear for a lot of people and and it was it's like I said it still is for me of like oh I'd love to do this but I don't want to deal with jerks in my life you know well I think that you have to look at where that might be coming from and if somebody to Sarah's point I mean somebody's looking for attention right I I love the block feature <laughs> I mean it's like you say something completely innocuous and someone has to come out of nowhere with well you know, what is it? block, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, and, and again, genuine feedback, somebody's saying, Hey, you're doing this. Have you thought about doing this? Okay. That's fine. But sometimes people are just, you know, lobbing grenades because nobody's looking at them today. And, you know, especially during the pandemic, when we all have a lot of screen time, we also have a lot of unhappy people that are feeling the need to reach out to others in negative ways. And, you know, it's, it's no different than when we were kids in school. You know, there's always like the person that is seeking attention by acting like the class clown, you know, yeah. so it's just the electronic version of that. Right. Yeah. And on the flip side too, if you're listening to this and you're someone who is one of those people who maybe doesn't make great comments to others. It's important to remember that these are humans behind these blogs and they are being very open and authentic and yeah, they're making money off it, but maybe not a lot. And, you know, just think before you write something to someone. 
Well, yeah, not that any of our audience there, is trolls or anything. Not only are there real people behind that, but whatever they're providing you, it's free. So mm-hmm. shut up. <laughs> Go Enjoy buy your- a cookbook for $30 that you're never going to read if you don't want an ad in my recipe. Mm-hmm. Like, amen. It costs me money to provide you free stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're welcome. Yeah, exactly. And here's the thing that you don't think about, like, especially when you're first getting started, you want to get everyone. Like, I want these people and I want these people. I don't want to alienate these people. But even though I'm not really niched down in my site, like they say the riches are in the niches, um, which only works if you're American because overseas it's not pronounced niche, but whatever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But I realized. I don't know, like a few years ago, I don't want everybody reading my blog. I mean, sure, from the ad revenue perspective, that'd be great. But my site is not for everybody. If you are going to clutch your pearls because I say the word fart in a post, like I don't want you. I don't want to waste my energy having to deal with you being annoyed. Like it's just like what I tell my 11-year-old when he complains about somebody at school. I'm like, there's always going to be jerks. My dad used to say, there's always someone to look at looking to take a dump in your Cheerios. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it's such a dad thing to say. Such a dad thing. He's like, it's up to you if you want to give them the power to do that. Quite the visual there. I know. Work on (laughs) I know. You might edit that out if you want. But um, there's always somebody who's looking to ruin your day. And it's up to you if you want to give them the power to do that or not. And I just, I realized a few years ago, I no longer wanted to give anyone power to make me feel like crap. Yeah, on in your business or otherwise, really. Exactly. Yeah, I'm over it. Yeah, good. So let's get a little bit um, more practical. Um, so if people are listening to this and they're wondering, you know, do I have what it takes to do something like this? Maybe you can share with us some skill sets that maybe you had going into this that have turned out to really serve you well um, and really helped you on this journey. So are you talking specifically about food blogging or blogging? Yeah, just either, you know, either one is fine. Yeah. So I will say right off the bat, I didn't have any skill set to be a food blogger other than I liked to cook and I liked to write. But if you go back to like my older posts, the ones I haven't deleted yet or haven't updated, like it's just rambling, like 500 words about picking apples or something like that. Nobody wants that. And so... I enjoyed writing and I enjoyed cooking and that are 100% the only skills that I had. And I had a computer. That's it. Um, My photos were terrible. My recipes weren't even written in recipe cards. So you couldn't even print the recipe. You had to either like handwrite it or copy and paste it into a Word document. Um, Again, my photos were so bad. I didn't have anything. So SEO is search search engine optimization. And so that's all about how you title a recipe or a post, the keywords you use within the post, how you write for humans, but in a way that Google likes. I didn't have any of that. It took me a long time to figure it out and I'm still working on it. I'm still tweaking it. Um, You know, I used to title a recipe Okay, so this Saturday, I don't know when this is coming out, but this Saturday I'm republishing a really old post on Blackberry Cobbler. And now it's called like Gluten-Free Blackberry Cobbler. But when I originally titled it, I'm not kidding, it was called Good Things Do Come From Exercise. (laughs) 
and the URL of that post is still good things do come from exercise because you don't change URLs. But it was all about probably, I don't know, a thousand words on how my husband took my now older kid running in a stroller. And while they were out running, he found a blackberry patch. So later I went and picked blackberries and then decided to make a cobbler from it. Like nobody is searching for good things come from exercise when they want to make a blackberry cobbler. So it, it was all about learning how to finesse my um, posts so that people would actually search for them. Yeah. But again, I do want to call out though that, yeah, you needed to figure out those technical details, but your content was good. I mean, back in the day, maybe that wasn't working for you from a business perspective, but as a reader, I was like, oh, what's she going to talk about now? You know, like good things come from exercise. That's intriguing. What's going to be in this? Oh, sweet. A gluten-free cobbler recipe, you know, like, so, you know, I don't want to totally discount the fact that, yeah, you had to learn some technical details, but you were really good at that, you know? And if you have that skill set to connect with your audience in that way, you can learn the technical disciplines around that, you know? True, but also blogging has changed a lot. So my diehards, like the people who've been with me for a while, they don't mind if I jibber jabber, but nobody wants that anymore. Like new readers don't want that. So if you notice as I've evolved, my um, my recipe posts are now more streamlined. So someone coming from Google or Pinterest who has no idea who I am would still be able to completely understand what what it's about. And I throw in, you know, some Easter eggs for my, uh, my longtime readers. So like little hints of snark and things like that. But, but I still, I missed that connecting with the audience. I missed the just jibber jabbing for 2000 words. And so I decided to just dump all of that personal stuff into my Sunday posts, which are my, like in terms of direct readership, they're my most popular posts, but they only pay like 1% of the income. So they're really more like my love letters to my readers. And then the Google traffic and the Pinterest traffic, people who don't know me, that's what pays the bills. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Um, your scattered Sundays, that one. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Those are the ones I always definitely read. Yeah. You and everybody else, <laughs> but those are the people on my old email list. Like the people on my new, e- I, I cut off that RSS feed. Mm. So I'm winnowing you guys down. <laughs> and so my new people, they don't get that. They get a link to the scattered Sunday mm. in the email newsletter, but they get a much more curated, um, newsletter because those people who found me, the new people who found me, they found me through Google. They Did I just say Google like that? They found me through Google and they found me through Pinterest. So they don't have that backstory and they don't want the backstory. And that's fine. I, I provide a link to it if they want it or otherwise it's here, the recipes and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So where did you start to turn to learn all of these technical types of details? Like how did you, you know, hearing early Sarah days and how you're talking now is pretty different. You've obviously been educating yourself. Is that self-education? Did you hire people? Where did you go to start learning all this? Uh, It was a combination of the two. So I started with podcasts because they're free. Um, And then I even created a personal Facebook page or account. I had never had one before because I didn't want one, but I needed them to get into like food blogging Facebook groups. So then I just started reading things. I joined Food Blogger Pro, which is a membership site. Um, and then I 
started spending money to invest. I think 2008, yes, 2008 was the year I spent, I don't know, 10 times what I made because I kept saying to myself, man, if I just invest in this, it's going to pay off. And it has, but you don't always have that guarantee. Um, so I had to do it slowly. So I hired somebody to clean up my Pinterest account because I didn't even have a Pinterest account really. I'd just been pinning things here and there and Pinterest can be a big traffic driver. Like I didn't even know what a pin was because I didn't have a personal Pinterest account. My readers would go out and take my old horrible photos and create what they call pins. So things that people will then pin on Pinterest to get people to drive traffic to your website. And my readers were doing it for me. Like, hey, I put this together. Maybe you want to share it kind of thing because I didn't know what I was doing. So lots and lots and lots of podcasts. Hired someone to clean up my Pinterest account. Um, I got a new website, which costs quite a bit of money. You can bootstrap it, but I don't know how to do those things. So I'm like, I can spend a year figuring this out and it would be terrible. Or I can invest the money and have someone who knows what they're doing do it. And you totally rebranded too. Totally rebranded. Yeah. Because yeah. it was to the point where I didn't tell people in my real life about my blog because I was like embarrassed by the name. I thought it was really cheesy. My old site wasn't professional. So like nobody at work knew about it. Um, I just, I didn't talk about it because it was embarrassing to me. And so I, uh, and also at the time I worked for a state agency. And so I, I wanted my work life and my private life completely separate. Um, and so up until I rebranded, you guys didn't even know what my last name was. I know. <laughs> it took me so long to put it together that sustainable cooks, I was like, oh, did she hire a team of cooks? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, it's her last name. Yeah. And, perfect. and nobody knew that till I rebranded. I, I mean, how many food bloggers have the last name of cook? Like it's, it's <laughs> destiny. Pure gold. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't, I didn't share my last name with you guys. Like I still talked about things. Um, I talk about the general area where I live, but I don't talk about the town or anything like that just to keep my kids safe. Um, so yeah, I rebranded, got a whole new website. Um, and then I think a year, six months into it, I went through an SEO audit with Casey Marquis from MediaWise. He works almost exclusively with food bloggers. So goes into your site. And then I got a 41 page document of everything that was wrong with what I was doing. And I am still working through that 41 page document. It's not one of those, you can get it all done in a weekend kind of thing. Um, but it, it's helped me restructure how I write my posts, except for the Sunday posts. The Sunday posts are just like throwing stuff at the wall. It's like if you and I were at a coffee shop, remember coffee shops, uh, <laughs> just sitting, having a cup of coffee and we were just chatting about our lives. But um, those posts are no indexed. I no index those. So Google does not crawl them. Google doesn't see those posts at all. And it has no bearing on the ranking or my domain authority. So it sounds like you kind of started to intentionally invest in areas of your business that you uh, personally were not, you know, an expert in and right. really didn't want to take so much time trying to become an expert in those areas. Right. And now that I'm making more money, I've also started hiring out things that I just don't like to do. 
Like, I hate the game of Instagram. All I want to do is see my readers on Instagram and like chat with them, but I don't want to play the hashtag game and going to follow people and then interacting on other people's posts. I don't want to do that. Like, I just want to see you guys. So I hired a woman who does all my hashtag research. I organize all my photos and I write all the captions like, cause nobody can write a food pun caption. Like I can't, like there's no way I could hire that out unless it was like to a 10 year old boy, maybe. I don't know. Um, so I still write all that, but she does all the hashtag research and she goes out and interacts with other accounts. But I comment on my own reader stuff. I answer my own DMs because that's the only part of social media I enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, okay. That's, that's great advice is to maybe, you know, find some of your gaps in your knowledge. And if it's within your budget to, to hire someone to consult with you and help you understand it much faster yep. and to really see that as an investment into your business and into accelerating the success that your business can have um, versus spending a bunch of time spinning your wheels, trying to figure it out on your own. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. My Instagram lady just messaged me right before we hopped on the call and she's like, Hey, I'm raising my prices. Do you still want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, because I don't want to do Instagram. Like the amount of money I can make by not doing Instagram, like, like by not having to manage it far outweighs what I'm paying because it allows me to, and I hate this term because it sounds so cheesy, but it allows me to, you know, exactly what I'm going to say, focus on my zone of genius. Zone of genius. (laughs) Such a, oh, that term. And I just want you to hold space for this. Those drive me nuts. But anyway, where I'm good, (laughs) that's what I want to focus on instead of the stuff that I don't like. Like it got to the point where I didn't want to post on Instagram but brands want you on Instagram. So I'm like, okay, I'll give the brands what I want, but I want to keep my readers. Like that's what I want. So how profitable has it been for you? Cause lately, I think maybe in the last year or something, I've seen a lot more, not a lot, but you know, promotion, like for example, or earlier in the episode here, you saw that I was drinking out of a Liberty bottle, which is yes. a company that you wholeheartedly support and talk about. And I think it's, I think the way that you do it is so genuine. And I've bought, I also bought that um, mask that I asked you about. Yeah. He was promoting this really awesome mask from Covered Goods. Um, And we'll put, we can put all of your affiliate links in the show notes so people can see the things you're recommending. And I, I love that. So when did that start and how, how has that been working for you? Um, I mean, I've always linked to stuff on Amazon, but I didn't know for a few years that you could actually make money doing that. Like I just linked to it and then someone's like, why don't you get an affiliate account? I'm like, what's an affiliate account? (laughs) Um, so now I do link to stuff on Amazon. Um, that is my best affiliate, but you know, they, you have to play by their rules. I can't put links in emails. I can't send them through direct message. Um, And at any point, they could change the rules. And they've changed the rules probably 30 times since I've been an affiliate. So I get more clicks and people buy more things from Amazon than ever before. But I earn less than I would have with this traffic, you know, just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, The important thing for me with affiliates is I would never promote anything that I won't spend my own money on. Because... I know my readers and not all of them have a lot of money and I never want someone to buy something and then it breaks or it doesn't work. And they're like, 
well, now I can't trust what Sarah told me, like that kind of thing. Like I'd rather make no money from affiliates than lose the trust of somebody just to make 10 bucks. So usually I will promote things that I bought myself first and then found like the covered goods mask. I, I used them as a nursing cover when I had Bennett. And then somehow I was still on their email list and they sent out an email saying, hey, we're now making masks to every customer who'd ever been on their email list. So I bought one with my own money. Every mask that I have in my house, I bought with my own money from them. And then I approached them and said, hey, do you have an affiliate program? And um, I mean, it's it's only been going on for like a month and a half, but it's it's been pretty profitable. It's not going to, you know, pay a mortgage or anything. Um, Yeah. So Amazon is pretty good. I promote things like Thrive Market and ButcherBox, but the return on those, you know, uh, they say you have to see something like seven to nine times before someone will make an investment. So I try and balance it with, hey, I want to talk about this authentically. Like I actually bought this with my own money because I do. I buy all of it with my own money. And how much do I want to talk about it? to get it into your head versus do I want to be annoying? And, <laughs> and you're saying, when you say you bought it with your money, you're saying that because you're trying to say that they didn't send it to you as a sample. Right. And you're yes. like, Oh, this is cool. Right. And honestly, I have a standard response that I send to companies that they're like, can we send you X? And I always say, um, I don't know, it's a copy and paste. I have it on my phone. I'd have to look at it, but I'd say, you know, in order to, protect the integrity of my brand. I don't promote anything unless it's part of like a long-term partnership, which means do you want to do a sponsored post, things like that. But I've had people send me stuff and I get back to them. I'm like, I don't like this. Like I'll send it back to you. I'll pay for shipping. I don't like it. I'm not going to talk about it. Even if it makes me like $50, if, if a reader buys it, I, I, if I don't like it, if I'm not willing to spend my own money on it, I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, and Beth, chime in here, some of the common themes that I'm hearing that have really contributed to your success, Sarah, is number one, just being really authentic and not just in what you write, but also just what you were saying about what you promote, how you connect with your audience and really focusing on your authenticity and focusing on making sure that you stay authentic has been a really huge key to your success. And then outside of that, you have spent the time and the money and the energy in investing in other experts to come in and help you sort of level up in areas where you just know it's just not your zone of genius to be leveling. Such a horrible term. (laughs) I just, I want to hold the space for you, Sarah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I also want to say, hey, when you're hiring other people to do things that they're experts at, you're hiring other self-employed people. So that's so good. We're all helping each other. Um, It does cost a little money, but yeah, you're giving another self-employed person a chance to also be in charge of their life and work in their own business. So that's all good. I have a question for you, Sarah. How has the pandemic affected you? It seems like a lot of people are cooking all of a sudden. They sure are. (laughs) I mean, has that created a big boom for you or what? how does that work? So I'll tell you in March when basically most people look at like March 11th, March 13th as kind of like when the world stopped. Mm -hmm. And as a food blogger, our traffic shot up. If you're Mm -hmm. a travel blogger, it basically like destroyed your business. 
Um, so traffic shot up for us, but ad revenue was cut in half. Like, so when you run food blogs, this might get a little wonky or when you run any blog with advertisements and you're working with a, um, ad network, you're getting paid. It's, um, it's called RPM rep per milieu. And I guess milieu must be a, um, Latin term because it really means per thousand. So for every thousand page views you're getting on your website, this company is paying you X number of dollars. And there's a thousand different reasons that go or different factors that go into that RPM number. So if you and I both had blogs, your RPM number would be different than mine. It depends on how long people read your posts, uh, how long your posts are, your page speed, what you're actually talking about, that kind of thing. So no two bloggers RPMs are the same. Um, but I, let's say I was going from, I think in February and the, the start of the year, Q1 is terrible for RPMs, like because advertising budgets reset, people just spent all their money on the fourth quarter. So you could have been making like $20 per RPM. So your RPM was 20, which meant for every thousand page views you were getting, you were earning $20 a day. So you could have been making 20 to 30 RPM um, in December, and then it resets at like $10 for January. Well, what happened in March was all the advertisers started cutting their budgets because of nobody was spending money on anything anymore. So we were going from making like on the low and, you know, 17 to $18 per RPM to all of a sudden it was like six to seven. Dang. Mm. So you have to have three times the traffic to make up for that drop. And, you know, my traffic increased pretty dramatically, but not three times. And so, you know, I made a lot less money in March, a um, lot less money in April. My traffic got a lot better in May. May up until this month has been my best month of traffic ever. And then things started increasing a little bit in terms of RPMs. I switched to a premier ad network. so like the best ad network out there for blogging. Um, and so things have increased dramatically. So my traffic is much better than it was in March, but, I, and, but RPNs have also increased. So the volatility of the industry can be really scary. You know, I made 25% in March of what I'm going to make this month. Oh, interesting. So it, can, it can be really scary if you, um, you know, if you use that, pay your mortgage, you use that to send your kids to school, all that. It can be really, it's really volatile. And you have to learn and just if you're, if you want to be a food blogger, if you want to hang out in Facebook groups, you have to learn the seasonality of it. There's something called a summer slump, which traditionally May, June, and July, everybody's outside or camping and doing fun things. They're not on food blogs. And so traffic goes down. But a lot of my content is on preserving, so canning and things like that. So my summer traffic holds steady. Well, with the pandemic, my canning content has skyrocketed. Like, yeah, oh, that's eight eight hundred percent increase in page views from last July on my con just on my canning content. And because those posts are very long, because I put a bunch of information in there, so people don't kill themselves. Um, 
people are on the page longer, so my RPM for those specific posts is higher. So I'm making a lot more money, but at the same time, I know tomorrow it could be completely different. So you have to have some sort of stomach for risk yeah. if you want to do this long term. Interesting. So, so have your followers increased during this time? Uh, yes. And so back in the day, a follower is someone who would like check your blog every day. They knew to go to your homepage. Now it's someone who might follow you on social media. I, I'm always shocked at people who on Instagram are like, oh, you have a blog? Like what? Like, <laughs> oh wow, that's interesting. Because you know, Instagram is a beast. Facebook is a beast. Pinterest is a beast, and then you have your blog. So my followers, in terms of social media, have increased. My page views have increased. Um, and the returning, you, if you look in Google Analytics, you can look at different metrics. So new visitors versus returning visitors. Returning visitors, the percentage has remained the same. So. That means that my loyal readers are still there and I'm converting new readers to be more loyal. But my, my new reader traffic is, um, it's higher than my returning reader traffic. And that's very standard, mm -hmm. especially as um, Pinterest has grown. Um, Pinterest, most of the time, Pinterest readers are there for the recipe and then they leave. They're not interested in investing in you. And that's fine. You just have to make sure that you offer things that um, either keep them coming or get them on your email list or, hey, follow me on social media, that kind of thing. Let's, let's work towards um, uh, talking about what is the next step for you. So in the beginning, you were just kind of experimenting, playing around. This is sort of an outlet for you. Then you you went into it more full time and started investing a little bit into it a little bit more. And then you went through a whole rebranding process where you got a 41 page document of all the things you were doing wrong, which just sounds rough. And you learned how to take really great photos, um, which was another huge level up for you. So what do you, what do you think is the next level up for sustainable cooks? At some point it needs to be a product probably, and I don't know what that is. Um, there's something I'm working on with a blogging friend that's not ready for release. Uh, if, if it is and if it happens, I'll let you know. Um, but at some point, it has to be a product because I'm not interested in always working for ad revenue um, and trying to hunt for traffic. Like, traffic's great, ad revenue's great, but the amount of churn you have to do to keep that going. Um, there's no such thing as passive income. And anyone who says that is just lying. Like, yeah, I have old posts that still bring in income, but I have to go in and I have to update those and add affiliate links and take new photos and things like that. So at some point, there needs to be some sort of physical or electronic product that I produce that allows me to have a more sustainable, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just said that, um, <laughs> revenue stream um, so that I'm not always working for someone else. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and can you just share another really quick practical thing of how many hours per week do you think you put into this? Just a guesstimate. And second part of that question is, has this become a legitimate source of income for your family that really is working for you guys? 
So pre-pandemic, I would say it was probably 50 to 60 hours. I had the youngest in preschool three days a week. The oldest was in school five days a week. Uh, now I would say it's probably 30 to 35. Um, I really love to work, especially when it's something that I enjoy doing. Like I've never been afraid to work a lot. I, I would love to work more, which most people don't actually say. But right now, I think we're all kind of in just maintenance and survival mode, especially if you have kids at home. Uh, so I work less, but I have to work more strategically. So I get up early. I go to bed late. Um, they're getting more electronics time than I would like. My husband and I do a lot of switching off, that kind of thing. Um, so it's less than I actually want to, which is not something most people say. Because um, before. I feel like if I had the time I did when they were in school, right now I'd be finishing up my content for quarter four, like Thanksgiving recipes and Christmas recipes. And now I'm kind of, I have my editorial calendar, but I'm working maybe one week ahead. And that doesn't give me a lot of peace of mind. Like if something happens to me or a kid gets sick, like all of a sudden I'm now playing catch up constantly. So I'd love to work ahead more, but the reality is that I'm just not able to until school resumes, like not homeschool, pandemic school, like kids out of my house school. Mm -hmm. um, but and in terms of a real business, yes, there's been a few months that I've made more than my husband, who's a firefighter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I love <laughs> Those are the best months. Um, but at the same time, like it, it'll all reset in Q4. So in January, it's all going to go back to being low again. And so if you plan in the good months for the leaner months, that's great. But if it's your first year and you don't know what a lean month looks like or when a good traffic month is going to be, um, it's harder. So yes, it's a state. Uh, gosh, there I go saying it again. Um, it is a profitable business and it's getting more profitable every month. But at the same time, that could change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. I'll, I'll give you an example too. So uh, Google rolled out an a huge algorithm update last November and it like crushed my traffic. Like my traffic dropped significantly. Mm. And the fourth quarter is the most profitable quarter for food blogs. And so I should have made four times as much as I did. But because oh. Google decided on November 4th to re-index my site in a certain way and take a bunch of my top posts out of their carousel and first page, um, it, was, it was devastating. So the time of year I should have been making the most, I was making the least. Oh, man. And so, um, yeah, I'm I'm still working for someone else, even though I'm working for myself, like Google's my board of directors and my ad company uh, is payroll and things like that. So I think people look at self-employment as freedom, but it's never, and that's great, but you need to go into it with an open mind that no one's ever 100% free. You always are going to have to work. Right, right. And I mean, even if you're doing something like what I do where I have clients, you know, you're still working for clients and you still have people that you need to please. Right. So, yeah. I mean, there is a sense of freedom in terms of like you can go into the office in quote air quotes early and stay late and work right. in the in the cracks of time that you have when juggling taking care of young children. But yeah, you're still working for someone. And the work still has to get done. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so since this has been a pretty long journey for you, um, one question that, 
I wanted to ask you <laughs> is whether you attribute your success to luck or how hard you've actually worked on this for yourself. So I would say the first seven years, it was pure luck. Like people like you finding my site and sticking around no matter what crappy content I was producing and horrible photos and things like that. And then once I figured out what I needed to do, it was 90% hard work and 10% luck. I think the harder I worked in the last three years, the luckier I got. Um, so I've had opportunities that have presented themselves through luck, but I would have never had those opportunities if I hadn't worked my butt off to get to a point where this brand recognized me or something like that. Yeah. Awesome. What's a great place for people to start if they want to find you? You're on all the socials. I'm, I'm on all the socials. Yep. So sustainable cooks at pretty much everything. Instagram is where we have the most fun. Um, Facebook being Facebook, you'll see 1% of what I put out. So, I mean, feel free to join us there. But uh, Instagram is where we have the most fun. And then my site is just sustainablecooks.com. Thank you so much for joining us for the very first episode of So You Wanna Be A. If there's a particular type of job that you're interested in us exploring, let us know and we will do our best to find that person and pick their brain and hear their story. As always, please head over to KenzaCollective.com, sign up for our newsletter, and stay in touch on Instagram and Twitter at Kenza Collective. We are always open to your feedback and input, so please send that over. Have a great day. Thank you.